The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Charles, you ever play in a game that windy? No. Uh, like like last night with the Bills Patriots? Uh, I, I don't think so. Definitely played in, in colder games uh, yeah. than that. But uh, wasn't that windy? No. And I'm glad that I didn't because, you know, I never made it past D3 level of football. And if that's what NFL football looks like, <laughs> I don't think that we would have had a lot of fun, you know, in the MIAA in high school or, you know, uh, I forget what we played in at Gettysburg, but I can imagine that wouldn't be that much fun either. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty gross. I remember my first year out of college, I was covering high school football in Pennsylvania, not far from Gettysburg. And I described the game as grotesque because the weather was so bad that like it was barely even looked like football and all the parents got really mad. And I was like, I had to explain, like, I just meant that the game was just, it's like, not that your kids are unskilled. It's just, it's very hard to play football uh, in, this was windy and rainy and the field was just not draining. It was like literally playing in half a foot of water with gale force winds uh, so it was really, really gross. Uh, we are talking, of course, about the Patriots-Bills game last night. The Patriots won that game 14-11. We're going to get into that, talk about some of the some of the discourse around that game, both, uh, both what happened during the game, and we're going to talk about this controversy that came out afterward with a question to two Bills players and how they responded. We'll dig in on all that. We're going to dig in on Charles's... Uh, Forvert's column, his excellent look around the league uh, every week. This week, it's kind of looking at I, I like this version because it's looking at teams that are basically out of the hunt. I guess the Eagles are in there and I guess they're still because the NFL playoffs are so sprawling now with seven teams uh, that they're still alive. But for the most part, this is looking at teams that are not really in it anymore and, and where they stand, uh, which which is good. I think we are as guilty as anyone of sort of throwing those teams out and uh, just focusing on who's going to make it and who's going to be there in the end. Uh, but, you know, those teams have narratives too. Those teams have players going through things. Uh, our our favorite scrappy bunch, the Detroit Lions, finally won a game. So we'll talk about that. Uh, we're also going to dig in on uh, how my, the Miami Hurricanes, we're going back to college football again. We're, we're, we're really delving into the college game. I like it. Uh, but we're going to talk how the, the, Miami Hurricanes ended up paying out, uh, I haven't even done the full math, over $20 million uh, in order to be able to hire a new coach uh, and where that money actually came from. Talk about the uh, Chiefs offense. And then we're not going to go heavy on the games from this past week. Uh, you know, we'll hit on some of them, but we're, we are going to talk about the Baltimore Pittsburgh game where the Ravens uh, sort of lost control of uh, the uh, really the, the whole AFC. They, they sort of had their destiny in their hands. Uh, they've been winning close game uh, coin toss games that they shouldn't have won. We knew that they were going to revert back to, you know, that, that it was just going to uh, that the luck was going to change. Like we, we knew that. Um, but how it happened, I think, is illustrative of where this team is and why Lamar Jackson is struggling right now. So, we got a lot to get to in this game, uh, in this in this week. Uh, so let's start with last night's game. Chuck, was this anywhere near Bill Belichick's masterpiece, which is like sort of this weird narrative that is coming out that he did something amazing by deciding not to throw the ball into literal gale force winds? Yeah, I don't. I I don't think that this game like makes Bill Belichick a, a genius. Uh, like obviously, like he's a great coach, probably the best coach ever. Uh, right. But I I think that there are games that have been a lot more impressive uh, than the one that uh, they just put together. I mean, it's not like it takes a super brain genius to figure out why they they threw the ball three times. If if you just right. go back and watch in the first quarter. Uh, Mac Jones throws a pass to Johnny Smith, uh, which, you know, in any other circumstance would be a routine pass where Johnny Smith would have a lot of yards to run after the catch. But like the wind, like you said, it was, there were gusts up to think, I think 55 miles per hour. And you can tell just as the ball comes out of Mac's hand, it kind of gets caught in the wind. And Johnny has to make like a ridiculous diving catch for like 12 yards. Uh, and that was kind of the end of the Patriots trying to, uh, 
throw the ball. And I I, I don't really blame them. And it, to me, it's not even like a big thing about, oh, Mac Jones stinks. Like they, this is them super right. worried about how Mac Jones is going to play. I mean, it, this just wasn't the game for him to be uh, a big factor. Like even on the other side with Josh Allen and the Bills offense, uh, like Josh Allen, he has the arm strength to cut through those tough wins. And it's not like he played uh, all that great on his side of the ball. So, uh, or, or that the Bills offense was really able to keep things going. So, you know, it was just one of those games where the stars kind of aligned for you to take this wacky little path towards victory. And uh, the Patriots ended up throwing the ball three times. And, you know, that's kind of funny, but I don't think that, <laughs> you know, not throwing the ball in horrible conditions makes Bill Belichick a genius. Do I think he enjoyed winning that way last night? Yes, definitely. Right. Uh, just from someone who is like an, a student of the game, you know, obviously has a background loving Navy football and he even wore, uh, he was wearing right. a Navy football face mask before the game yesterday. I definitely think he enjoyed playing that way. I, I, don't doubt that that was a lot of fun for him, but to say that this was like one of the best coaching performances of his of his career, uh, no. I mean, like even like Madden players know, like if you're if it's raining a lot or snowing a lot in the game, you might want to keep it on the ground a little bit more, and and that's what the Patriots decided to do, and it worked. Right, right. I mean, the Bills have not had a running game in a lot. I mean, I don't remember the last time that they had a really effective running game. It's been a long time. They've been trying to solve that issue. So if you know going into this game that they're going to have to throw it around a little bit. And the defenses are basically, you know, the, the Patriots defense is probably been a little bit better more recently, uh, but they're both really good defenses. I think they were, they might be one and two in defensive DVOA. Um, so, yeah, they are. Uh, so, you know, really good defense is like, you know, it's just sort of common sense to play it as conservatively as you can to not you know, ask Mac Jones to do it if the run game's working. And, and it was, do you, do you, I mean, there's sort of this, and this sort of segues into the next question, but uh, there's a narrative developing that the bills are soft and that, that, that what Bill Belichick took them into an alley and beat them. And then that's, you know, that this was just the, 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 this is displaying the bills issue. That's going to keep them from getting the Super Bowl is they're just not tough enough. Uh, like, is that, is there any validity to that? Or is this just more just an issue of personnel? Uh, I don't, I, I don't really like buy that in general. Well, right. first of all, I do. I also, I just like to avoid in general, like calling NFL players soft because you know, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that, that's a, a much tougher job than I could do. But I think when you look at uh, really what happened with the, the bills yesterday, you know, I, I thought that, you know, after the, after the game, there was a, uh, you know, a little, I guess, confrontation might be even too strong of a word between Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde and some geezer reporter. Yeah, Jer- for, Jerry Sullivan. Yeah, Jerry Sullivan, who asked them uh, if they should be embarrassed. And, you know, you know they only gave up 14 points. Uh, and if you kind of go only back. Only one of them was a touchdown. Right, right. And only yeah, they only gave up one touchdown uh, right. on the game. And that touchdown was a 64-yard carry. In the first, in the, it was like in the first six minutes of the game. Right, <laughs> right. So you have a 64-yard touchdown very early in the game. And after that, the longest carry that they gave up was 16 yards. So uh, I don't really know if this was like a game that comes back to this team just isn't, I don't know, tough enough and built in the right way to um, – to win, you know, these cold December. Right, a weird game. Right, it's <laughs> game game kind of a weird game. It might, uh, it, it, it might it's, happen in Buffalo. Like maybe, maybe you have to build your team like that if you want to win in Buffalo. But like the Super Bowl is going to be played somewhere warm, and it's going to be played with a, probably against a team that's going to pass the ball all over the place. And if you have a bunch of big dudes who are stuffing the line, guess what? You're not going to do cover the pass well. Like I, you know, right. I, I, you just. Like uh, this is not rocket science. Like you can either do one or the other. Like so, the fact that they were not built for this style of football, which bare like this is it was literally the least throws ever in an NFL game, right? Like, uh, like this is not. It's just not football is generally not played this way. So judging them based on that fact, like that's that's pretty weird. Um, what did you think of that question? Uh, you call you called Sullivan a geezer. I know nothing about this guy. You know, I assume he's like just uh, somebody who's well, been covering I, the Bills for a long time in in the 
Well, I don't I don't know who he is, but he did drop as they were walking off the podium, he did drop it back in my day. Right. Know, like, okay. Nothing good can like who says that? Yeah. Nothing good can like, come. Okay. Like I don't know who you are, but I know you're old. <laughs> you probably shouldn't be working this job anymore. Uh I, I thought it was a stupid question. Like as right. someone who's worked on the beat, uh on a beat before, like what do you think <laughs> what do you think is gonna happen like if you ask someone that question and not even just like in football but like in any walk of life like you know someone has a bad anything you ask them hey man are you embarrassed like you're not gonna get a good response after that and I think especially to ask players that uh, who you would like to cultivate relationship with and you know be able to talk to uh, when you have questions about stuff that was kind of a bizarre question to ask and I, I think that you know if that is something you you, if that's something you've been thinking about as you're sitting there watching the game, you're getting ready to go ask some questions. There's definitely a better way to put it than right. are you embarrassed? You could just say, you know, how did you feel about your right, guys' right. ability to defend to defend the run tonight? You know, did you guys think you were prepared, not prepared? Blah blah blah. You, you can you can ask a, a tough question without coming across like you know a jackass for uh, lack of a better term. Now, the right. only time that I thought something like that was funny was I was on the Jets beat. And I don't remember which game it was because, I mean, there were a lot of games that this question could have applied to. But Brian Costello from the New York Post, he asked Adam Gage just straight up, are you embarrassed? And <laughs> look, that was kind of funny to me because <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's Adam Gage. Like that, that was they lost a lot of games. But just to randomly ask like these two guys, <laughs> are you embarrassed after like a once in a lifetime win game? Uh, and they only really gave up one long run. Uh I, I thought that that was a, a bit much, and uh, you know, you, you can you can word that in a little bit more delicate way where the guys aren't offended at the question. Right, right. I mean, the thing about it is, even if you get the expected answer, I don't know what he expected, right? But like, it, they could either say no, we fought hard, and then he gets to write in his column like, "Ha ha, they thought they were good enough, but they should have been embarrassed," or they say, "Yes, we're embarrassed, and we're going to work harder." And then what do you write? Like, oh. They know that they need to get like this. Just it's just a dumb. It doesn't lead you anywhere. Like just I'm just thinking about the reader, right? Like Jerry Sullivan sort of got up on his like journalism uh, soapbox and said, you know, I'm speaking for the readers who want to know, you know, who want tough questions of the scene. But it's not a tough question. Like they lost a football game. Of course they're upset. Like seek nuance. You know, ask them. Like you said, like ask them how they feel. Don't just say, "Do you feel one way?" <laughs> like that's just dumb. Right. You know, you're not yeah, gonna get it. it. Like just say, "How did how did you feel after a, a hard, you know, a, one of the weirdest games in NFL history uh, to come so close? How did it feel?" And then maybe they'll say, you know, like you're gonna get a much better answer. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's not even like it obviously was just a weird grandstanding yeah. thing. But yeah, and then as they were as they're walking off the podium to throw that last shot yeah. back in my day, they would have like. Do you really just want them to never talk to you again? Yeah. That, was, that was pretty bizarre. There's, you cannot, like, there's nothing. I think I've said that to my kid. Like, I've, in the heat of the moment, like, my, I said, like, well, when I was younger, and then I always regret it. Because you're just dumb. Like, yeah, things have changed. Like, there's no, uh, you know, maybe there's some lessons to be learned from how it was back then. But, like, what? Player, you know, also the, 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 Jerry Sullivan's really mad about not being able to go in the locker room. Like, did you like going into the locker room? Uh, yeah, I like going to the locker room. It was cool. But like, uh, but, but couldn't they just do it somewhere else? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, like why don't they just have a room where the players mingle around yeah, in clothes? I, yeah. I mean, it was definitely a little bit weird sometimes. Right. Uh, like you, if guys are getting changed, like obviously you want to give them their space to do that. Uh, <laughs> right, right. But like the, the, being able to talk to yeah. all the guys and, you know, get to know them face to face was nice. And I just can't imagine right. like saying something like that and then walking back in there like nothing's nothing, nothing happened the day after or something like that but you know unfortunately covid is taking away some of that access but i don't think that you know covid is the reason why you asked a jackass question jerry right no it's uh yeah it's a little weird uh all right let's dig in on the four verts you opened with uh one of our favorite topics really uh Taysom hill why why is this still happening why why i don't know and I, I guess my thing it's was just Taysom the Sean Hill. Payton answer, right? Like we we keep coming back to this that Sean Payton is just fascinated or something. He just wants to do it. It's just weird because like there's nothing that this dude does on a football field that requires him to be paid like the amount of money that he's being paid. Uh, 
because obviously, you know, the max value of the, the four year, right. $40 million contract we signed has a max value of $94 million, which I mean, come on, he's never going to see that. That's just not even real, not even really worth wasting time on uh, because he would have to play like a bunch of quarterback and be good at it for that to happen. I, I think that at this point, it's kind of safe to uh, assume that that's not really going to be happening for Taysom Hill. But like even the other stuff is kind of weird where, you know, he's like a gadget player on offense and uh, a guy on special teams that's a, a punt gunner and stuff. So uh, I don't really understand like why they keep paying him these contracts. I don't think that he's like a particularly useful player. Uh, and I think that when you look at where the Saints have been cap-wise, it's just kind of a baffling decision to keep extending him. Like, I don't know like if he has something on the Saints or something where, you know, he, they need to keep this going uh, if he's got some dirt on them because that's really the only way uh, that that makes sense to me because, like I said, there really is no spot on the team that you can put Taysom Hill right now where his contract becomes, you know, something that is valuable. You know, even if you just look at it, and say, oh, you know, they're paying him like a top 10 end. Well, that's silly, too, because he's not a top 10 end. Right. Uh, he's not a top running back. He's not a top quarterback. He's just kind of this gadget player that is getting paid like someone who needs to be on the field uh, every single play when the Saints don't even view him that way. Because when they started the season, James Winston won the quarterback challenge. And then when James Winston got hurt, they put in Trevor Simeon. And then when Trevor Simeon got hurt, then it was time for Taysom Hill. And uh, he struggled tremendously in that game against the Cowboys. So, you know, it's weird to see a player get paid who the team doesn't have faith to play when it's time for him to get in the game. But I guess that's kind of what the Saints have decided to do here. And I look, props to Taysom Hill for getting money for things he's not good at. I mean, that's my dream. That's the American dream, right? <laughs> right. So, look, I, 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 I just find it weird that they keep giving him money but then don't actually want to turn him over the keys and, and let him play on the field unless they really, really have to. Yeah, it's, uh, I, you know, there was some semblance of like, hey, let's see if this could, like at some point, I guess you could have done that, like give him a chance, but we're so far past that. Like this is no longer an experiment. Like we know what Taysom Hill is at this point and he's not, he's not a, a huge impact NFL player. It's like you said, like if you really want to devote to having a little bit of a gadget player and somebody who can throw off defenses, then sure, like do it, but there's no reason to be paying him what he's paying him, what they're paying him now. Uh, I want to segue right to the Jalen Hurts conversation. Cause to me, they're somewhat related uh, because you had, you admit up front that this is a little bit of a straw man and yeah. basically that all the smart people are saying, hey, of course, it's still Jalen Hurts' job when he comes back. Um, but there was – I happened to be in Philly on Sunday and uh, listening to Sports Talk Radio on my drive oh, home. Boy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the – there, you know, there there are people who are like, yeah, Gardner Minshew is what you need in a quarterback. I've been saying it all along. Jalen Hurts isn't – he's not accurate enough. And, like, you know, I, we all know what's happening there. We all know what's being talked about. But, like, this is the difference is that Taysom Hill, like, sort of gets that benefit of it. Taysom Hill's 31 years old. And Taysom Hill did not finish second for the Heisman. Like, why are we acting like Taysom Hill should have a longer leash? Why, why would anyone think that than Jalen Hurts? Like, Hurts is still <laughs> developing. By most accounts, he's developing well. There are things he needs to do better uh, at the NFL level. But, like, he's a pretty dynamic player. He's not quite Lamar Jackson, but he's, or even Kyler Murray, but he's like in a second tier. And like, quite frankly, there's never been allowed to be a second tier, right? Like if you wanted to, if a black quarterback either had to be so exceptional that he was one of those dudes or, uh, you know, he just didn't get the chance. Um, so Jalen Hurts is still developing. I mean, there's, but Minshew, like I watched a little bit of the film, like they totally redid the offense, right? Like they basically just had him dumping it to people. Yeah, uh, it was. It's kind of weird. Uh, well, and the reason that I I wrote about this is one, like, there's really just nothing from this week of football. <laughs> uh, and two, like, when we were, when I was on the debatable show with Pablo Golo Jr. yesterday, we brought this up. So it's like, I'll just write about it. Uh, and uh, to me, like, this is the perfect game that shows like why it's great to have someone like Gardner Minshew on your roster. Uh, 
because I, I think that there's definitely a spot for him in the league to play for, you know, 10, 15 years if he wants to. But we've already seen the extended Gardner Minshew cut, like what that looks like in Jacksonville. And, you know, there's some good times, uh, but a lot of times you just kind of see, eh, not really physically gifted enough to provide the ceiling you want. Uh, you know, that, that like, he doesn't stop you from putting in, like, a more physically gifted player, uh, you know, one that's, like, help you lead the league in rushing and dominate everyone on the ground that you've played in, you know, like Jalen Hurts. Right. Uh, and I think with Minshew, now he, he's starting to reach, I guess, you know, somewhat of veteran quarterback status. He's been around for a couple of years. Uh, this is his second team. And when you look at what a backup quarterback is supposed to do, they're supposed to come in. And when you have an opponent like the Jets, like <laughs> these are the games <laughs> where, where you're, you're, you, you expect like Gardner Minshew to come in and play well because you expect basically any quarterback that's like worth a damn to come in and play well in this game. And we're talking about – uh, a Jets defense that just they, they just came off a streak where for an entire month they gave up 45 points. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I would hope that Gardner Minshew can have some success uh, throwing against one of the worst defenses that I've seen in quite some time. But it's, it, it doesn't have to be like a referendum on the, the Eagles quarterback situation as a whole, because I, I bet if you put Jalen Hurts out there against the Jets, he would also have a pretty good game. Uh, just like basically every quarterback has had a good game for the Jets since like week one or week two. Uh, it, it was pretty baffling to me. Just, well, not, not not baffling. Like I, I get what the deal is. But, you know, like one game against the Jets is enough for you to say, oh, this is the guy. This doesn't make any sense. Uh, you spent a second round pick on Jalen Hurts. He's gotten a lot better from his first start up until now. Uh Honestly, I think he's probably done enough for them to roll with him for the starter in 2022 and maybe use those uh, three first-round picks you have on other spots or try to find value somewhere even in future drafts. But uh, this does not have to be a thing where Minshew is the guy in Philly. He just had a good game against the worst defense in football. He kept you going, kept your winning streak alive, kept your playoff hopes alive, and that's exactly what a good backup quarterback is for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, if I, as I look at this Eagles team, like – I'm less excited now. I think Hertz is probably better than I thought he would be, but I was hoping that it would happen within the context of both the Eagles continuing to be bad, the Dolphins continuing to be bad, and the Colts continuing to be bad, and none of those things are happening. And so the Eagles have gone from having three top 10 picks to probably three middle-of-the-round picks. Like This yeah. Eagles team looks like it's going to finish 500. The Colts look like they'll make the playoffs. Miami is slice through the easy part of their schedule. So uh, it's not, I'm not as bullish as I was about where that, where that team is headed, but yeah, there's no, I don't think anyone serious has made the, made the the argument in any substantive way that Gardner Minshew is really a better option. And Nick Sirianni, like immediately after the game was just had wanted nothing to do with any insinuation along those lines. So uh, let's get to our favorite team. The Detroit Lions finally won a game. And uh, it was just pure jubilation, man. You have the clip in here of Jared Goff throwing the game-winning touchdown, going right over to Dan Campbell, uh, giving him a big hug. Uh, I don't know. You know, the knee, the kneecaps, kneecaps have been bitten. That's what I'm taking away here, right? Like they, they did it. Yeah, they finally got a win. And, I mean, they've been close, like, a lot this season, uh, which is – you know, I, I think kind of impressive for where they are, like organizationally. He's uh, right. like, this is obviously not a good team. You know, their point differential is not great, but when you just watch them play, like they're right there uh, towards the end. I thought it was kind of funny that, of course, it was the Vikings that ended up losing to uh, this team because they just because <laughs> they're the Vikings, right? Because they're the Vikings, <laughs> and, and nothing's ever easy for them. And just speaking on the Vikings real quick, they are five and seven, and they still have a positive point differential on the year. Oh so that's kind of where. Uh, the Vikings are. And then just to get that win on the last play, I don't know. It's just like kind of a culmination of everything that we've seen uh, this Lions team do throughout most of the season. You know, they're not the most talented team, uh, but they're going to come at you. They're going to fight hard. They're going to, you know, bite you in the kneecap and swing on the way down. Uh, And they finally got uh, this, this elusive win to kind of, I guess, you know, settle Dan Campbell's spirit because we've, we've seen the man cry in a press conference before. So uh, I'm glad that they got this done for themselves. I'm glad they got it done for him. And 
uh, it was just kind of a cool story for them to to finally get across the finish line after getting close uh, so many times. And I, I just kind of hope, like, and I think I've touched on this earlier in the season, but like as they start to like build the foundation for being uh, a real team, <laughs> uh, hopefully they don't lose like some of the edge and aggressiveness that they right. have needed in order to be competitive uh, in these games. Because I think, you know, Ben Baldwin, uh, the athletic, he posted a chart the other day that said, you know, in terms of when they, when teams do need to go for it in terms of like winning percentage, uh, you know, win probability, when they need to go and go for it on fourth down, the Lions are basically making the smartest decisions in the league on when they need to go for it on right. fourth down, which is kind of interesting based on like what, <laughs> you know, you think about Dan Campbell when you hear him speak, but you know, they're kind of forward thinking, uh, maybe it doesn't always come out so clean because this is a pretty, you know, young coaching staff. Uh, like I think Anthony Lynn is the only person on the staff who hasn't been in this position for the first time because he's the offensive coordinator, but right. uh, everyone else is basically doing things for the first time. So you're you're starting to see a plan come together, and I just hope that they don't lose that aggressiveness as they start to get better players right. on board. Right, yeah, it's, it's easier to be bold and to be uh, – you know, fierce when you're just, when you feel like there's nothing on the line and like that, the lions are in that position, right? Like nobody expected anything out of them. So uh, it's a little bit easier to just go out there and go all out. Uh, So you're right. I mean, whether, whether Dan Campbell can continue to be that type of thinker as a coach and, and take those risks and whether he can continue to get that sort of play out of his players once the pressure ratches up is, Something interesting. I I hope my feeling about the Detroit Lions is that, uh, you know, the worst thing you can do as a sports better is uh, bet on your own team because like your emotions are involved and you're not really going to be able to see it clearly. But I hope that some people in Detroit just put money on Detroit because this team must be against the spread. I mean, their record must be incredible, right? Like I don't even, I should have looked it up before the show, but they must, I mean, they're just in so many games that they, shouldn't be in uh so there's a lot of a lot of money there to be made hopefully for some lions fans so they they can they can walk away from the season with that uh what do you think they do with jared golf you you have a little note in here about the fact that he may be playing himself into another season with this team in part because the nfl draft does not seem to have many answers uh at quarterback coming up yeah but uh this might just be where they go it's it's kind of like uh what's going on in philadelphia with jalen hurts where you know, you look around and you look at the landscape, not only in college football, but in free agency or trade targets. Like, eh, I don't think there's really many spots Detroit can go other than, you know, running Jared Goff back for another year. And it's not like, you know, he's been as bad as like Sam Darnold was in Carolina where you absolutely had to uh, make a move. I, I think with Jared Goff, he's just someone that's going to play uh, either up or down to his su- supporting cast. And mm-hmm. for the most part, that has been down this year. But, like, I don't think that there are going to be many, you know, spots where they can move on from uh, Jared Goff in the upcoming season. Like, if they continue to uh, play like they do and they finish with the first overall pick, there definitely is not a quarterback worth uh, the first overall pick this year. And it might be hard to even get someone to trade up to you because – you know, you're not looking at a class with Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson or maybe even a Mac Jones like type prospect. So, uh, you might just end up taking someone like Kevon Thibodeau from Oregon or Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan at the top of the draft. Uh, use that second first round pick from the Rams on another player, and then maybe find a guy in like the in day two or day three of the draft. But uh, luckily for Jared Goff, like this is kind of lining up for him to get another shot at that line starting gig and. I don't think that that's like the worst spot for them to be in. Uh, you know, if you can just get some competent quarterback play at times, I think that can help you evaluate uh, your long-term roster and eventually it'll give you a clearer image of what kind of quarterback you need when you are ready to move on from Jared Goff. So, you know, it, it's it's a process. It's a long-term process. Uh, no one is mistaking it for being like a quick rebuild, but I don't really think that as the seasons move along, I don't think that – bringing Jared Goff back for another year is like the worst plan in the world. Right. I mean, the guy, he, he took a team to a Super Bowl, right? Like he's yeah. uh, like, he can, you know, if you give him, like you said, if you give him a lot 
of the right pieces around him. Now that's much more difficult to do now because he makes a giant salary. Uh, whereas the Rams had him on his rookie deal and were able to build up. And, you know, we, we talk about the cycle of building teams here all the time. Uh, but yeah, it, it seems like having golf is an okay answer for the lions. Uh, this next team we're going to talk about the, the Texas, the Texans. I, I like, I, what, there's not even a plan here. Like what? <laughs> I mean, they might not even get the number one pick. Uh, like it seems like the Jaguars might be like, might end up being bad enough, but there's also nobody out there. Like I don't, yeah, this team, there is no fix for this team in sight. Uh, this team that should be, should not be where it is. I mean, this is terrible ruins, man. It's terrible. They are terrible. Uh, and I just don't really know like what's next because you have, you have like nothing here. Uh, Tyra Taylor, I mean, he had a nice start to the season, but he was putrid in that game uh, against the Colts. And you know, I don't, I don't know what what you're supposed to do here. But the reason I wanted to write about that was because I was just like scrolling through the box scores just to see like if I missed anything, and I realized that I hadn't seen any of the Colts Texas game. Like, I guess I missed all the clips on Red Zone. Like, it just completely, you know, dissipated me on Sunday. And I looked at their. The, the stats for Davis Mills and Tyrod Taylor, uh, they combined to go uh, 11 for 27 for 94 yards, one interception. They were sacked four times for 37 yards. Davis Mills had a QBR of 6.2. Tyrod Taylor had a QBR of 2.7. Remember, that's on a scale out of uh, 100 for ESPN. And they combined, you know, when you subtract sacks from the passing yards, they combined for 57 total passing yards. Uh, on the day and I just kind of had to look at it. I was like <laughs> how is this possible like how how is the team uh performing this bad so I flipped it on and honestly it was worse than like you could even imagine uh they threw an interception on the first play where there was a rollout and there were really no options tire tries to force along the sideline picked off uh, a few plays later after they give up a touchdown Farrah Brown fumbles it Davis Mills comes in later he's missing passes left and right like it was just totally not competitive. And I guess, you know, the only saving grace for the Texans is that the season is almost over. Uh, You have five games left versus Seahawks, Jaguars, 49ers, and Titans. That's honestly kind of a tough draw to end the season uh, outside of uh, maybe you can win, you can beat the Jaguars again, but even that is not a given with how they're playing right now. So, you know, it's, it's pretty bleak for the Texans right now. And I don't really know, where you even go from here. I guess you're probably going to have to burn that, you know, top five pick on maybe a quarterback like Matt Corral or Leak Willis. But, you know, that, that does not sound uh, like a, a fairly enticing plan to me. So maybe you just run it back and take a defensive player and hope that you can find uh, a way to get a quarterback in the offseason. But I, I can't really think of a team right now that has a more bleak outlook long term than the Texans just because, you know, this year was just – they got nothing out of this year. Uh, and obviously that was going to be expected when you didn't have uh, a first or a second round pick due to like some some uh, hasty trades that were made by the previous regime. But it 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 is just a real dark spot for the Texans as they look forward because I don't – I have no idea how you get out of this mess and start winning football games again. Yeah, uh, it looks – it's just a mess. And I mean, I, I know you mentioned this yesterday – uh, on ESPN, but like they, it's unfair because the Deshaun Watson thing, like that probably was their path toward relevancy. And if they were going to trade him, they would have gotten a boatload. And now, I, you know, nobody should trade for this guy. Um, yeah. And that's unfortunate for the Texans, but man, this rebuild is going to take a long time. A lot. Uh, I mean, it might not even happen with, with these guys that are running the team now because I just don't, like, like I said, it's going to take like a, a savior quarterback for them to get this, get them out of here. And I think if you just look at the Texans rushing stats this year, uh, Mark Ingram is leading the team with 294 rushing yards, averaging 3.2 yards per carry. David Johnson is second with, 176 rushing yards, averaging 3.1 yards per carry. Uh, Philip Lindsay, 130 yards, 2.6 yards per carry. Rex Burkhead, 126 yards, 2.8 yards per carry. I mean, it, it's just kind of pathetic. Uh, we really like start a piece like how bad they've been together. And good luck because I wouldn't even pick this team to rebuild on Madden. Yeah, it's rough. 
Uh, speaking of rebuilding football teams or programs, as it were, uh, the Miami Hurricanes have brought back Mario Cristobal, a former offensive lineman, to be the head coach. And uh, they've hired him away from Oregon, which is one of the more well-moneyed program in college football because it's uh, so closely aligned with Nike um, and Phil Knight, Nike founder Phil Knight. So they have tons of money there. And to get to get to make this hire happen, uh, the Miami had to shell out, I think, what, $9 million to buy out Cristobal. They're probably paying him somewhere. I haven't seen the contract details, uh, but it's north of $8 million a year. And then they still owe Manny Diaz, the former coach, uh, $8 million a year. So we're talking about many millions of dollars. They've also apparently made promises to Cristobal the way they convinced him to come. This all happened, by the way, like, out in the open, Miami was openly courting Cristobal while he was still coaching, and Diaz was just in limbo. They were going to keep Diaz if they couldn't get Cristobal to come to come over. Uh, so this was all happening in the open, just Miami making a you know making a push for it, and uh, it's it all was enabled by the fact that the Miami uh, hospital, the Miami University hospital system, made four hundred million dollars in profit. Last year, <laughs> profit four hundred million dollars, uh, and you pointed out on Twitter right away that like, the optics of this are horrific, uh, horrible, horrible. <laughs> and I think what's <laughs> what's so awful about this is like because you talk about all the money that Miami is just you know dropping on this football program and. You know, that is extremely uncharacteristic of where Miami football has been uh, over the past like decade or so. Like they're not really a school that's trying to get in the buyout game and all this other stuff. And all of a sudden, wait, they're dropping, you know, tens of millions of dollars on this football program. And, uh, you know, you get the report. I, I think was it Stuart Mandel that dropped it. Uh, yeah, it was. It was, was, it the, was the athletic. Yeah, it was the athletic. It was Mandel, and then whoever the Miami writer—I I can't remember his name. Uh, yeah, I forget. I forget what his name is too. But yeah. you know, for for simplicity, we'll say the athletic. You know, dropped this report saying that uh, <laughs> they had come into a, a profit of four hundred million dollars. Uh, the like University of Miami health system over the past year. Hmm. I wonder what could have happened over the past year or so where a hospital would have been come like would have come into an influx of major cash like that. I wonder if it's like a, I don't know, like a major <laughs> pandemic in a state where the government has basically been pro COVID and is allowing <laughs> it to run a uh, rough shot through the entire state and lots of people getting sick and dying and that it's expensive and it costs healthcare money. And that money is not, not all of it, but a good chunk of that money gets redirected to the football program yeah. so you can hire Mario Cristobal so he can what? So he, so he can do what? Like blow games against Virginia like he was blowing the games against Stanford? Right. Uh, or or Utah. The guy gets yeah. run over by Utah every year. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, get maybe the most talented young quarterback in the NFL and gets him to a point where we think he's not any good <laughs> coming out of Oregon. I mean, like I, I, I understand – Obviously, that college football is just kind of a disgusting blood sport, uh, and there are no like real morals, morals attached to it. But it's just kind of two things. One, wow, like right. you are literally using like sickness and death to power this football program, uh, like the blood money that comes off of our crappy healthcare system here, and two. You're doing all this for Mario Cristobal. Like, if I could, like, if I, if you told me, you know what, we're gonna make this run at Urban Meyer. We're we're really gonna go into selling our souls business. We're gonna use this money to buy Urban Meyer out of his Jaguars contract, buy Manny Diaz out of his Canes contract, and then we're gonna give Urban Meyer you know ten million dollars a year plus the money to buy whatever staff he wants. Okay, like I can do that because you know on the back and you're going to get the wins when Urban comes. But with Mario, like this just does not seem like a sure enough things where you need to go through not only the 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 caring 
uh, like dragging Cristobal through or dragging Manny Diaz through the trash, but like also just taking the money that comes in just such a sinister way. I don't know. Like, right. I, obviously, like I said, college football is bad, but this one really made me feel a little sick to my stomach. Like, the right. more I thought about it, and the more I read about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's M- Manny Navarro was the other guy who wrote this for the Athletic. By the way, I want to give him his shout out. Uh, yeah. But the fact that like. Even if they don't end up, you know, universities, first of all, shuffle money around and it's always unclear what's actually getting paid for. There are very few athletic departments that truly pay for themselves. Miami was sort of claiming like, well, for the longest time, we made our athletic department pay for itself. And now we're ready to to really invest. Uh, and, and it's because they have this huge wad of cash from the pandemic in a state. I wrote about this yesterday. So I looked up a lot of the numbers. The state is 61,000, more than 61,000 deaths in Florida. It's 10th in the country uh, on the list of deaths per 100,000 residents. Uh, around 3 million people in Florida, uh, the numbers I found are maybe a year and a half old, Three, 3 million people couldn't didn't have insurance. Most of them said they couldn't afford it. Uh, in the time since then, Florida has had a huge number of people apply for the state or federally funded uh, insurance programs. Like there was plenty of places to spend this $400 million. And like you said, Mario Cristobal, like the, how is he some sort of answer? Like he, I, I mean, he was at least coaching at Oregon, I guess. Whereas, like they've they've been doing the, uh, you know, they've it, basically since Jimmy Johnson and Dennis Erickson, I guess, won a bunch there too. When when you were super young, or I was kind of young, uh, but they, you know, they've gone like the Randy Shannon route, Al Golden, Larry, like Mark Richt. Like, you know, Cristobal is like, a, like you said, he's a slightly bigger name, but <laughs> this is not not by any means a slam dunk. Uh, and it's just. Yeah, I, I get that. You know, he's he's got Kane's lore. And he right, it's a sentimental. Yeah. But also, like, do kids care about that anymore? I mean, that was 20 years ago when I, uh, when when they were like truly truly relevant to me it just right. seems kind of weird just keep dipping into the past like you know you're, you're so M- mario cristobal he was last there uh in 2006 okay. so the kids that you're recruiting now like they're going to be what like two three years old when when that was when that was a thing because these kids are going to be born in like the, the so mid, right mid so 2006 and 2006 was the final year of larry coker larry coker won a national title went uh i think he went 60 and 15 uh, right. So like that's an 800 winning percentage and they fired him because he went six and six. <laughs> so like Mario Cristobal knows that this job is is tough. Like and it's like, yeah, it's what like they're, they're going to turn on Mario Cristobal in two years if he doesn't. It's going to yeah. be like Scott Frost at Nebraska. You know, like it's it, uh, it's funny because uh, my buddy Justice, who we've had on the show before, he was saying yeah. to me the other day, his take is. Uh, Miami is the new Nebraska. They just don't know it yet. <laughs> With much better weather and, right, and, and better beaches. Weather. Like, yeah, yeah. you know. Uh, so go to Miami, recruits. Don't go to, <laughs> don't go to Nebraska. Uh, all right. You wrote one other thing this week uh, that I wanted to, to talk about before we get into the, the Baltimore-Pittsburgh uh, game. Uh, the Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs' offense now is the problem. We we sort of worried for the first half of the year about the defense. Well, it's it's broken. They're not going to be able to fix it. Uh, this offense isn't. We we sort of like the offense was not running well then, but we sort of figured it would click into click into to gear at some point, and it just has not happened. Um, and it's it's really weird. It's it's a hard thing to decipher what's going on. Yeah, like like they've the like the Chiefs' defense has gotten good over right. the past. I mean, the Chiefs have won five games in a row now, right? Is that, yeah. Is it up and it, it's not like the Chiefs have gotten, like, the defense has gotten, like, okay. Like, the defense has actually gotten, like, productive and good. Uh, and, you know, usually if the Chiefs defense have been playing this well, if you paired with the offense from, like, the past three years, I mean, we would be talking right. about just, like, clear cut, number one, Super Bowl contenders, they'd be blowing people out. But the offense just cannot seem to get on the same page. And to me, it's like – I watch and I can't even figure out like one exact thing that is going wrong because it's like they take turns going wrong because sometimes like the offensive line will be shoddy. Other times will be Mahomes. Right. Other times will be receivers or running backs. Like they all just kind of take turns 
having their bad games and you know it's caused them to kind of dip when it comes uh into their scoring off output i mean they're still able to move the ball with ease uh outside of his last game against denver where they weren't really able to do much but uh it's just a little bit confusing to see like the offense become the part that you're worried about with this chief's defense with the chief's team because the defense has been the the biggest problem for them uh obviously early this year and then, you know, in seasons past where they actually have made, you know, Super Bowl runs. So I I still like don't want to completely quit on this team because it's got Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill, like all these guys that we know are good in the NFL, have been good this season, have been good the past three seasons, uh, but it's just not clicking for them right now. And uh, I do kind of wonder, like, if they can get it going back in time for the playoffs to start uh, in the next coming in the I mean, in a couple of weeks. Right. Yeah. I uh, when when I saw that you wrote about this and I started digging in a little bit just to sort of form my own thoughts, I was like, oh, I bet the offensive line is still bad. Like, I bet that that's that's the answer. Like, the underlying issue for a lot of teams is line play. Like, football starts at the line. That's really important. And then I looked and like. Orlando Brown's been pretty good. Thune's been good. Creed Humphrey like has turned out to be really good. Uh like so I don't it's it's just really it's like you said, it seems to be like a rotating thing that uh there's something not working and it just moves around <laughs> to different parts of the offense. Uh and it's just not clicking. And you know, again, Andy Reid is I, I think pretty widely considered one of the greatest offensive minds in NFL history. Like and certainly a guy yeah. who can build an offense and, and adjust an offense as he needs to, you know, he's not, he's not stuck in his ways, right? Like he's, he's, he's evolved as the league has evolved. So, and he, like you said, he has all the talent. So um, I don't know. It'll be an interesting thing just to continue to watch whether this can uh, finally come together at some point. Uh, all right, let's talk Baltimore, Pittsburgh. The Ravens end up losing. They go for two late in the game. Um, John Harbaugh and, and Lamar Jackson sort of misses a, a a play that was there, I think. Uh, lots of criticism right away. John Harbaugh explained it by saying that they were out of corners. Marlon Humphrey had gotten hurt. Um, they, they basically just did not really have any cornerbacks left, um, and so he thought they should go for it. How did you feel about the call? Uh, I thought it was smart, honestly, just to go for it because at that point in the game, you lost Marlon Humphrey. You know, your your defense is so banged up. And I think for that Ravens team, it was for this, I mean, for this Ravens team, it was probably right, better for them to just try and win the game right there than to take it into overtime and take your chances there because they're, they're, they're really just running with a skeleton crew based on what they thought they were going to have uh, at the start of the season. So I, I really don't have an issue with going for it there just because they're really in a dire situation in terms of like, <laughs> just getting from the start to the end of the game without uh, losing players. But, you know, it, it, and, it, and honestly, like if TJ Watt, you know, is one inch to the right or, you know, that pass is literally just an inch closer to Mark Andrews that like they end up winning the game. And uh, I don't think that that changes the, you know, the, the narrative per se, because, you know, I would still be looking at this like, man, like you're nine and three if they had won that game, but like you are still barely squeaking by uh, these teams and you don't really look like one of the better teams uh, in the NFL. So, you know, it, it just kind of comes down to the point to me, at least when I try to evaluate what's going on with the Ravens is Lamar Jackson is just trying to do way too much. And part, part, like, part of that is because, kind of has to do a lot for uh, this offense to really get going. And we've seen the Superman moments from him, but I think as the season's gone along, they've somehow just gotten more discombobulated on offense. And, uh, you know, I said this before, uh, I think, you know, in a couple of different places now, but it just kind of looks like they're in offense where you're going out in the back with, with Thanksgiving with your cousins and, and whatever, and you're drawing up plays in your hand, and that's how you're figuring out how to get – uh, into the end zone. I mean, it's just really unorganized. You can't block anyone. Lamar Jackson does not trust his offensive line whatsoever. And it just kind of seems like the whole offense lately is just trying to make like the second effort plays down the field to Mark Andrews or Hollywood Brown and Rashad Bateman. So like you have the receiving options to have a decent offense. We also already know you have the quarterback 
to have a great offense, but it's just not, you know, coming together in a way where it's like a cohesive plan for football, uh, an aesthetically pleasing style of football, and they just kind of look like crap right now. Yeah, I mean, Lamar Jackson has no confidence in what's going on with his offense right now. I mean, just none. Like, you you look, go watch film of his uh, MVP year, and, you know, it was very similar to what they're running now. Not much has changed, but he just sort of understood. Like, they had the running backs back then, right? Like, their running back room has been decimated this year, so it's not as much help for him on the ground. But he sort of just knew what was going on with the offense. He knew where the throws were going to be, and he is just like – uh, you know, he's not panicking, but he's just thinking one second quicker this season. Like instead of waiting that one extra second for a play to come to him, he's, he's already thinking, I have to do this myself. I have to figure out a way to make this happen. Uh, and so, and sometimes that, uh, that manifests itself as instead of taking like a six yard run, which is a really good gain. Like you should take a six yard run if you can, he will stand in and try to force a throw. And like, I don't know if he's in his head that he wants to prove he can throw it or what, but those throws aren't there because the offense is not designed well enough to give him those throws at this point. So uh, I can't imagine that uh, Greg Roman will, will still have that job much longer. Uh, I, I sit around thinking to myself, I have no idea if Joe Brady could design like a, a reasonable offense for the Ravens, none whatsoever. But like, I just kind of want to see it. Like he's out there now. Uh, just, just get him in there and, and let him. I, I don't know how Joe Brady became the fall guy for the Carolina Panthers. That d- doesn't make any sense to me. But I would love to see someone else design an offense for Lamar Jackson at this point because he really is just totally discombobulated at this point. Yeah, I, I almost wonder if this year is finally the year where they pull the plug on the Greg Roman experience, and I, I hope so. Just like just get a fresh face in there, yeah, someone with some to. new ideas, uh, because this is this is not working anymore. And I, you know, I think that Greg Roman has like a very important space in this era of. 100 percent, uh, but I think it's kind of time for them to move on and try to get someone else in there with the, yeah. some new ideas. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anything else you want to get to? Anything we didn't hit on yet? Uh, no. I just really hope that these NFL Sunday start to get a little more interesting because it's been a drag for a few weeks now. Yeah, it's been it's been a little little drab. It's been a little bit, yeah, just sort of bleak. Uh, but it will. I mean, it almost certainly will. There's a lot of playoff spots up for grabs and uh, teams will be maneuvering and we'll start figuring stuff out. I mean, I, I still think that we're very much on the path to a Bucks patriots Super Bowl. Uh, but, you know, this league constantly surprises us. So, yeah, I really I know some of our co-workers that for the winter rooting for that, but that that would kill me. Uh, uh, yeah, it, would, it would be a lot, man. <laughs> uh, all right, we're gonna come back Thursday. We'll do some picks. We'll go through. Uh, I don't know. We'll just talk about whatever's going on then, um, and it should be fun. So join us. And in the meantime, hit us on Twitter. He's at Forverts. I'm at Chris Corman. Willing to talk about whatever there, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Take care. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. <laughs>